And the problem, I think, with most conflicts, lingering conflicts, and then the the judgment, resentment, and so on that that lingers after the conflicts. That stuff lingers because we're not actually in connection with each other. You look eye to eye with your, and we see this in the, in the groups and in the work I do as well. You sit eye to eye with your partner. After a few minutes, it's like, oh yeah, I can't hold any of this against you because <laughs> it was all mentally created stories about you. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. friends hope you're doing well welcome to another episode of humans in love and this is your host coming to you from a very echoey bathroom <laughs> in a airbnb in bangkok so i'll keep this intro brief because the acoustics are not great in this apartment but um yeah i just spent a month in the philippines which was absolutely tremendous if you love the beach uh, you really owe it to yourself to go to the philippines at least once in your life but I've been in Bangkok for the past week and a half or so, and I've really had a good time. It's been nice to be back and eating my favorite food again and seeing some old friends. And yeah, there's something really special about Thailand, you know, like I've been coming to this country now for six or seven years. And I feel like after you've spent enough time here, it kind of gets into your blood. And um, yeah, it's a, re- it's a really special place. If you ever get the chance, you really owe it to yourself to go both to the Philippines and Thailand. It's a pretty special part of the world. I have a good one for you today. My guest today is a returning guest to the show, a good friend of mine, Mr. Jordan Luke Collier. Jordan is the head coach at Arza Murata and easily one of the most insightful and inspiring men I know when it comes to the topic of love, relationships, dating, all that fun stuff. And today's conversation centers around a really interesting topic, or at least I think it's very interesting, how best to navigate conflict in relationships. This is something that I think most of us struggle with at some point. It's a topic I'm increasingly interested in, like how do we have more productive conflicts? How do we actually, you know, get something out of quote unquote fighting with our partner or, you know, dealing with difficult topics when they come up or differences in cultural values or dealing with, you know, these childhood wounds that we all have uh, in our relationships. This is a topic that's increasingly interesting to me and I really appreciated my conversation with Jordan on this topic. This was recorded last month at my kitchen table in my old apartment in Chiang Mai, and uh, I think it's a good one. I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation, whether you're in a relationship or you're single, highly recommend this one. Before I let you go, I'll remind you that ratings and reviews are really important for any podcast success. So if you're enjoying Humans in Love, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review using your podcast app of choice. Without any further ado, signing off from Bangkok, Thailand. Here's my conversation with my good friend, Mr. Jordan Luke Collier. Could you imagine, and this is part of my life purpose, could you imagine if English politicians and intellectuals were in their body? Could you hold a little closer? If they were in their body? Yeah. You mean like what a different world it would be? Yeah. 
like if they could feel their hearts and feel their emotions and feel themselves as human beings combined with their intellectual prowess and their education. Do you think taxes would go up? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. It would bring politic, the political debate to a, an actually mature level. Hmm. That would be great. Yeah, I don't know. I've never really thought about that. It's an interesting question. How politics would be different? Check one, two. Wouldn't like somewhere like a state like California be a good example of that? Like they're all hippies there and doing their yoga and doing their meditation and like even the politicians. Pretty liberal place. <laughs> Don't know about that. Mm. I won't give my comment on how I see Californian culture while this is recording. Is it recording? <laughs> yeah, we're recording. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan, welcome back to my podcast for the last time in this kitchen. <laughs> Make sure you delete the last comment. I yeah, I will. That. Yeah, the uh, the Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Third in the series. Mm. Yeah. So I was I was thinking about it, and I think the last time we sat down for one of these was about a year ago. Mm -hmm. You and I have had many lunches and motorcycle trips and all the rest in between. Yeah. But I think the last podcast we did together was about about a year ago, and I was thinking what I would really like to talk about more than anything else is I want to know how you, you can speak as personally as you want, but what you've learned essentially about relationships in the past year or how you might be showing up differently in your relationship compared to a year ago, what you've learned, what you're working on. And I remember we had lunch the other day and I said that one of the things I want to talk about with you was how, when you're at your best, how do you fight in relationships? Yeah. And even if you don't want to speak personally, how do you think one should approach conflict in relationship because I know this is something a lot of people struggle with and it's something I'm trying to figure out more and more as well so what do you reckon how do you fight well where do we start because that's yeah. two big questions already yeah. I'll start with what I've learned over the last year in relationship this might sound a bit nebulous but when I got together with my girlfriend this is two years ago now um it was such a transition from going from <laughs> <laughs> being being, from being extremely single to being in a relationship and, and I would journal quite a lot so every especially every conflict we would have along the way I'd get out my notepad and write what's happening and and why and what am I learning and what am I learning about the dynamics of her and myself and so it was a um it was a time in my life that was incredible range of emotions a lot of them quite challenging an incredible array of thoughts and so I logged the insights that I had in the early days of that relationship um just as a way to help me get through it like when we had a conflict that pushed me to the edge and pushed her to the edge and there was like this unbearable tension and I was trying to understand it um in the light of the the things that I teach in my programs because I'm obviously constantly coaching and leading people through a program. So it's like, well, how, how is my relationship unfolding through the lens of the different themes that we're exploring? So I permanently had like this mental inquiry into what was going on. And I learned a lot of things that I could write down. And yeah, February the 4th, I learned this. March the 6th, I learned this. You know, I could really say a lot of things. What a great resource to have, right? You can always go back to that and you can literally kind of almost literally trace your development in the relationship and, you know, totally. specific dates. And, and there's some real insight in there and some absolute rubbish. 
Did you have any kind of routine in terms of you do this once a week or just kind of whenever you felt moved? No, I think my approach to journaling has always been um, literally when I'm moved to the point of needing to do this practice, I'll do it. So going traveling for the first time and not having friends for three weeks in a weird country and being absolutely out of my depth, I'd reach for the pen and the paper or being in relationship where it's like, wow, you know, I've come in and committed to you and moved my life and your life around in a massive way. Um, and that pushes me to my emotional edge. Then I reach for the pen and paper or the keyboard. And in moments of um, plain sailing, maybe this is wrong, maybe it's better to have like a weekly log or something like this. But in moments of plain sailing, I don't um, keep the journal. And so this year, I haven't really kept the journal. Not that it's been plain sailing, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into that more, but because, um, I don't know, I think I've changed tremendously over the last 12 months being in this relationship, but it feels like the learning has been more of an embodied stretch rather than a really active mind, um, wanting to log all of the, the pearls and the insights that it got along the way. Could you get into that a little bit? Like, I think I know what you mean, but maybe you could just expand on that idea of, what did you call it? An embodied stretch? An embodied stretch. Well, I think we've talked a bit before about irrevocable differences mm. and that I think the majority of modern relationships, not the traditional one from your hometown where everyone has the same kind of worldview and belief system, but most modern relationships that modern, especially international people are finding themselves in, um, there are differences, like big differences in worldview, values, beliefs. And that's not just a bunch of ideas or labels, but to have a value set is a deeply visceral thing. Mm -hmm. Like if my girlfriend has an opinion that deeply goes against my values, I don't just have an intellectual argument. Well, I may do if I'm very disembodied, <laughs> right? But uh, I have an emotional reaction and that gets fraught. And so when it comes to differences, I really feel that there are, tectonic plates or tectonic undercurrents in all of our intimate relationships and if my worldview and my value set is leading me one way and hers is leading her in the other way at some point we're going to get to a big either kind of volcano or earthquake tsunami <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah and then the tsunami comes up and desolates the house and and all of the neighbors hear it and there's just floods of emotions right yeah. And then the question is, like, we look at our differences, um, are they irrevocable? Like, do we have to split up because our values are just so foreign to each other? Or, or are they revocable? I think you mean irreconcilable. Irrevocable. I think irre irreconcilable, I, th might I think. Might be, irrevocable difference. <laughs> yeah, they what might be said in What does that sure. even mean? Irrevocable? I have to look that up. Irreconcilable, let's go with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, some differences can be reconcilable. And yeah. I think that's what I've been learning um, throughout the real tremendous conflicts that I've had this year with my woman. Wow, it always gets revealed, or our relationship to date has been one of, let's sail in the ocean. Oh, no, we've come to a big difference. And we fight through the difference, and it might take an hour, or it might take three weeks or some of the differences that we found last year are still playing out today. And when we get in that turbulent water together, we really go through it. And then we strangely discovered that the things that she wants in her vision for the relationship 
and the things that I want and my vision for the relationship are actually the same, even though we express them in very different ways. Mm. Like to draw a parallel, it's like we were talking about politics before recording. Some of the things that the conservative or Republicans want are exactly the same as the things that the, the other side want, the liberals or the labor. Um, in the end, yeah. but just the means of tackling those questions is absolutely different and everyone gets caught up in the emotional side of the means. Yeah. But it's actually, if you look at the deep embodied beauty of a conservative politician, what a sentence, right? <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever heard that sentence. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever no, said it. I don't think everyone's, yeah, but, no but, one's put those words together. But if you penetrate and get to the heart, like the, the heart and the core of conservative polit- uh, politics, that there's real beauty mm. in there. And the other side, there's real beauty in there. Yeah. But most people in a political debate are so emotionally identified with the side of the spectrum that they're on that they never dare to look at like, wow, he's bringing a piece of gold like yeah. here. Well, that's when I, was, when I was asking you about how you fight or how does one fight well in a relationship? What's the right way to fight? I mean, there's there's another comparison that we can draw with politics. For example, your Republican, Democrat, Labour, Conservative example. For example, like in the United States right now, it seems to me not to get into into politics too much, but it seems to me that the thing that's been lost is that there's no belief on either side that both both parties want the same thing. Both parties want to make the country better. Both be, both parties want to serve their constituents most effectively. Mm-hmm. Both parties want. Um, at least in theory, I'm not saying this is a, this is the truth, but there should be some, hopefully in a functioning democracy, there should be some understanding that we all love this country, no one has a monopoly on patriotism, and we all want the best thing for our country, for each other, even though the ways that we might attain those ends or achieve those goals might com- differ completely, we should have this shared understanding, this underlying fundamental bedrock of our debate should be built upon this truth that both sides want the best for this country. And I think when I think about when I'm at my best in relationships, trying to work through difficult topics or trying to work through a conflict or trying to approach these, as you call them, these irreconcilable differences, these these value clashes, whatever. I think when I'm at my best, even I, I might get upset and I, I you know, I tried to, to stay grounded and, you know, these emotions might come up and shit from my childhood might come up and whatever, stress, tension in my body, whatever. I think when I'm at my best, there's always this fundamental knowledge that this woman loves me and she wants the best for me and she wants to make this relationship work. And hopefully when I'm at my best during arguments, she knows the same thing about me, that I love her and I want this relationship to work. We have the same goal. This fight is built on the same foundation. And I think as, you know, maybe this is too simplistic, but I think in most relationships, when you're having a conflict, as long as that's the bedrock for the conflict and that that informs everything that is said to a certain extent as much as possible, I think you can you can work through most most issues. You know, you can you can work through most fights and do the least amount of damage as long as that's kept at the forefront. And it's it's challenging because, you know you know, a good woman or good man, whatever, they know how to push your buttons and they'll challenge you and they'll press you and they'll poke you where they know you're vulnerable or whatever, because we've all, we're all afraid and we're all afraid of being hurt and we all have, you know, insecurities and whatever. We're all afraid of loss. We're afraid of losing this person who we value so much. But 
you know, I can think of an example from my own life recently where I was, it was frustrating because I was, you know, with my woman at the time, I was trying to, trying to convey that, you know, I love you. I want what's best for you. Can we just agree on that? And then we can move forward, (laughs) you know, just to kind of bring the emotions down and sort of get us back on some kind of, I don't know, some kind of shared understanding of what we're, what we're working towards. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what, what do you think about that? Like, do you think that, you know, in fights, like, because some people approach, you know, conflict as, you know, there should never be any name calling, obviously physical violence, <laughs> things like that. We can kind of take for granted that that should not be out. But I mean, do you get really animated in fights, like physically? And like, do you yell? And like, do you? Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that it's helpful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Okay, we'll say more. I mean, I'm nodding my head to a lot of what you're saying. The final piece of like, oh, yeah. And then sometimes I want to remind her that we're on the same side here. Because I want to calm down her emotional reaction mm-hmm. to get it to a more rational place. That's where I'm like, hmm, maybe not. You know, mm-hmm. maybe actually pump it up and move some of the energy. Mm-hmm. So, so there is yeah. to go back to what we were saying a few moments ago. There is the intellectual part, the kind of rational mind talking to rational mind in a conflict. Then there's the emotional maelstrom underneath that. Yeah. Sometimes that's just got to play out. And see, this is this is a lesson that I think I le- need to learn more. Like I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. And this probably just goes back to my own childhood stuff or whatever, but I just, I hate yelling in general. I, I hate it. Even when I'm really angry, like I'm not, I don't do that. And I don't know if that's blockages in me or whatever, but I just find it so often not productive at all. And you do all this damage, you say things you don't mean, and then you've got the, you know, the wreckage from the tsunami or whatever, and you're yeah. stuck in cleanup efforts for the next week or the next month. Well, I think it's a training. Um, mm. I wasn't angry in intimate relationship for years just because you never felt angry or you never showed anger. I never showed anger like I would like my kind of historical family pattern is get really angry get really angry suppress it go off to the kitchen and mutter (laughs) (laughs) and still I can hear that if I go home and visit my family sometimes I can hear one member of my family in the kitchen muttering or fucking fucking dishwasher gets slams you know and it's like sure actually there's a beauty in suppressing your anger like I want to be a good I want to be a good man of the house I want to not blow up at the women in the house I want to like not be a bad model at the children here but everyone feels the tremors underneath and everyone suffers from that as well. It's like that passive aggressive layer of anger. And yeah. that can which fr- is worse. That can freeze over yeah. and that can turn into hatred and that can turn into resentment. And I mean, I was working with a client recently who uh, split up from his girlfriend for three years. Beautiful relationship. Amazing year one. Year two started to get a little bit more comfortable. And year three included just a wide and varied range of annoyances where she would continually annoy him or give him a little bit of um slightly emasculating words sometimes in front of friends or sometimes slightly disrespectful or demeaning and he would start taking on board all those different things and he's just getting shards and shrapnel of kind of shitty behavior from his partner and he feels disrespected and he feels angry and he feels annoyed and then because he's um, uncomfortable to bring up how he feels or uncomfortable to name the dynamics as they're happening, 
or perhaps not able to name the dynamics as they're happening. It takes a few days sometimes to work out, hey, you said something to me and that hurt. And three days later, I'm aware of what that is. But in the moment, I didn't realize because I just froze up a little bit on the inside. Mm. A lot of people, when there's anger in the room, a lot of people freeze up. And they, they, it, it, it can be difficult to deal with if you're not practiced. And so what happened in the relationship was he took on so much of her disrespectful, quote unquote, behavior that um, he, that just accumulated and he wasn't able to call it out. And there was such a fierce resentment building in him but he was quiet about it. And before long, the resentment was too big. The ability to actually name the different instances of um, disrespect that he took on became impossible because they all became lost in this big list of events that happened. And um, he blew up in rage. He literally, the frozen resentment blew up one day. It was too much for her. She left. He's now like absolutely gutted. He saw the relationship kind of dwindle in this way, wasn't able to do anything about it at the time because there's a skill, there's a language, there's a courage that's needed. There's a time and a space, you know, like if I'm busy 12 hours a day, when do I get to think and reflect on where the relationship is going? And then how do I understand my emotions? And then how do I speak my emotions in a way that can be received and like his relationship folded and now he's got a task of understanding feminine behavior that triggers him, understanding his relationship to disrespect, the ability to speak when you don't like something that your partner is doing in a way that's not aggressive, but is fully self-dignified, owning your boundary, asking her to make a correction or to not do it again, or to understand the impact of her communication, to be more mindful to be more respectful. Um, I mean, it, it, these are fundamental relationship skills. You're not going to go very far or very high without them. And yet it's, they're also super complex and advanced. Mm. Like where can you go to train these skills? Really? Yeah. You go to someone like Jordan. <laughs> There's Absolutely. Nice plug. That, that's what we're, yeah. yeah, that's what we want to do. Yeah. And, and I think, massive proportion of relationships die out because conflict can't be navigated it, there's either too much conflict or too little conflict there is a thing i believe called a right conflict we've got the right amount of conflict here and everything everything that needs to be discussed or debated or fought about is on the table and everything that doesn't really need to enter into conflict is artfully just let go of by each partner yeah. right because there can be an addiction to fighting and I definitely had a couple of like, wow, well, I can feel my power. I can actually be in conflict with a woman and stand my ground and speak my truth. I got a little addicted to that power for a little while mm. and then love the conflict. But then there's another elegant art, which is letting it go. But too many people read the Eckhart Tolle, <laughs> let go, and then it becomes a bypass. Mm. Actually, under the surface, I'm fucking resentful of my woman because of a year of psychological atrocity that she's unloaded on me um that's not good you know yeah yeah and then you're right and this is i think i'm i'm pretty good about setting boundaries with people in relationships and expressing whatever i have but there's been a couple occasions in my life where i lost my temper with someone 
and I really started telling them how I felt. And it was almost like a tap that you can't turn off. And there was so much more that I felt and had to say than I realized. It was like, because it had been so, so, uh, I wouldn't even say repressed, but I wasn't entirely conscious of it. And then it's almost, yeah, it's like a tap you can't turn off. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. Yeah. Um, which is not good. But I mean, this, this question about, about different values, differing values and navigating that. I mean, this has been the question on my mind for a long time. Cause like you and I, so, uh, the masculine archetypes, right? King, warrior, magician, lover, you and I are both lovers, right? Right. In a lot of ways. And, and I'm, you know, I want to believe that love is, you know, the ultimate and, and the ultimate salve for relationship problems. And if there's enough love there, you can navigate just about everything. But when is love not enough, you know? And I know this isn't an easy question to answer. It's probably impossible, but I don't know. I mean, these values sometimes, sometimes if there are just fundamental differences in the way we live our lives with another person, different ways we might see money or time or, you know, the city we want to live in or the lifestyle we want to have or even just the day-to-day things like, you know, if you're with someone who just eats crap food all the time and refuses to change, you know, or, or doesn't take care of their body, doesn't value that at all. It's like, is there going to be enough love there to overcome that? And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a two person question. Mm. Yeah. So you can have enough love for your partner, but I think their lack of self love, and this works of course in reverse, but if you're with a partner who's got a real lack of self-love, um, there's not enough love. Like you can be full, you know, cup overflowing, 120% love. And if the other person has, their love is kind of constricted, their love of self, they will end up sabotaging that relationship to the point of like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? Like I'm trying to love this person and it, it just doesn't flow. So we've all got an internal um, deconstricting, I believe, that needs to be done. Mm, yeah. You, uh, you started making YouTube videos this year. I did. And, uh, and they're really good. As you know, I'm a fan. I think I was subscriber number two. Thanks, brother. <laughs> That's where I would rate. Yeah, I don't know who number one was. But. <laughs> I'll kill him. <laughs> um, they're really good. And you, you made uh, one video that I thought was tremendous. Maybe you could get into some of the ideas behind this video how to know when someone is worth a relationship in the first place, how to know he or she is quote, someone to settle down with. Yeah. Um, what are some of the ideas you talked about in that video and some of the, the questions you think someone considering that should ask themselves? Yeah, I think I gave a very good, um, all round understanding of the topic. Like I had a lot of notes before making the video, mm. there's six or seven points. The only one that comes to mind right now is the, like, is this as love as it gets? Like, mm. is this as love as love gets? Am I 100% head over heels for this person? Um, you said something I found that I've thought about a lot, actually, a couple of years ago. I think I was asking you, um, you know, how do you, in your view, if you're going to decide to marry someone or something, make a commitment to that extent, what would you ask yourself? And you said something to the effect of, 
you do it if you felt like you had no other choice, like in a, in a good way, like you were just everything in you was so compelled to, to make this happen that, you know, there was, there was basically you had no choice, but in the best way possible. Yeah. Is that kind of how you see getting involved with someone or, or committing to someone being monogamous? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's tricky to make a deep commitment because I think many of us are formed by many different parts. There's some parts of us that want to go in and some parts of us that don't want to go in, especially when you're talking about marriage and particularly on the men's side of the street, like my personal experience and the experience of the men that I know is, um, you know, men like freedom and they absolutely want to make 100% sure that they're not making a bad choice. So there's a lot of fear there. And women don't seem to have quite so much fear around commitment as men do. Some do, of course, but I think the, the longing for love and relationship is so strong. It, it draws women over the line. They're much more ready to commit. That's why it's like, why won't men commit? And men are like, why, 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 won't, won't, she girls, why, why won't she just have a one night stand and yeah. then leave me alone? <laughs> right? yeah. There are a couple of bits of advice I could give to who I imagine your podcast listeners are. And it has to do with maturity, really. So... I imagine that that most people listening are uh, somewhat with one foot outside of the cultural script. Yeah, I think that's fair. (laughs) I think that's very fair. So, I mean, if you haven't really, like, if if you're going into relationships because the social bubble around you or your parents expect you to go into a relationship or don't want you to go into a relationship and your major choices in life are defined by this cultural script, the script of the society around you, um, if you're a little bit aware of that and, and are a little, feel that little twinge of, yeah, this is not for me, then I highly encourage being able to see and become independent from that cultural script enough so you can put your own feet on the ground and make an independent decision. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're not marrying for your parents' needs. You're not marrying out of fear of being the last one in your social circle to get married. Um, you can actually see life and society a bit more for how it is and then make an informed decision. Like that's kind of useful. And I work with a lot of men who have been divorced, like early to mid thirties, they've been in a relationship or been married for a decade. And then they realize I wasn't even a person. Like I got married and I wasn't a person or a couple of women that are very close to me in my life. I got married and I was frozen um, I know, I know men and women, women particularly that do not remember an entire decade of their lives yeah. That's crazy. just because they were following the script. They had their pains and their traumas that they hadn't worked through. And then they make all their big life decisions, marriage, inter- children in that frozen time. I'm interested in that. Like if they say they weren't even a person, what do they mean? Numbness, right? Numbness. So you get a trauma growing up. We all have them. Some people have big, some people relatively small. And what most people do around a trauma is numb out, like how to not feel the pain. And if someone is carrying a lot of pain, a lot of grief, a lot of anger, a lot of 
sadness, a lot of just devastation, like they lost a parent or something really bad happened or a parent's divorce. Like I have my own story with this as well. You know, parents divorced at a young age, uh, fragile things happen to a young person and growing up into adolescence, we just numb out those painful feelings. When we grow into adults, it's like, yeah, I just want to, um, uh, go on holiday, get drunk. I want to hook up with people, get drunk. I don't want to be in any real intimacy. Even, you know, we, in the yoga school here in town, let's do an eye gazing exercise. Some people have never eye gazed for more than 30 seconds. And once they stay in eye contact with someone for two minutes, they break down like all these. So people are walking through life, constantly averting their gaze from true intimacy with somebody because they don't want to feel the stuff that's been repressed. And it's funny, even literally, like averting their gaze. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. and literally. That's yeah, interesting. and it's funny, you can watch an interview on YouTube or something and the interviewer and the interviewee are like, you know, there might be a split second look, but they're fundamentally not looking each other in the eye because of the awkwardness. Because if you do look at someone in the eye, what do you have to feel? And I think a lot of our cultures, certainly my culture is in a huge cultural collusion to not be intimate with each other. So we can all go around life not feeling our pain, be, be able to be frozen and numbed out, and to avoid the horrific challenge of intimacy. Do you think that, I mean, I think a lot of people would look at this perhaps unfairly and say, look at this as primarily a male problem in places like the UK and Canada and America. There's lots of weirdness around male intimacy, what's appropriate, what's not. It's a female problem as yeah, well. Yeah, I would agree. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, I think that a lot of women who I interact with seem to have the same fear of intimacy, even with other women. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a funny thing. It's funny you talk about that because, you know, and this will sound strange to anyone who hasn't tried it, but the whole, these exercises where you sit across from someone and you hold their gaze for a minute, two minute, whatever. I've been in those rooms where people break down and it's, um, it's quite moving. And it's, 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 I never looked at it in those terms of, of just, they've never done anything like that in their entire life. They've been going like darting their eyes around the room, even with their lover, maybe for 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. And, and a lot of the men that I work with have been married for 10 years, but don't have a real night of intimacy to report. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wow. How did you get together? Well, you know, I got drunk in the Irish pub and she was there and she was drunk and it was just like real sexual energy and it was the best sex ever. And we had a really good time. And then, you know, the next 20 dates we went on, we we're in a group of friends and everyone was half drunk and we decided that it was a good relationship and that like, what? It, it, it's quite insane. And so when things started to go wrong or the, you know, the irrevocable differences started to reveal their heads, there were no skills, not even from the outset to sit down and look each other in the eye and be like, this is how I feel. Like just saying the words, I feel and filling in the blanks and then speaking what's true. I feel upset that you said this about me to my friend when I was there. I feel scared that if I commit to you, it's going to involve just a declaration of how one feels is something a lot of men in my culture never do that. A lot of women in my culture never do that. Mm. So that, so there's very little intimacy and there's, you know, the personal trauma, just going back to the frozenness thing that we we're talking about before, there's personal reasons why that's the case, but it's just the cultural blanket that we're all under. Yeah. I don't quite know where that came from. Um, Stiff upper lip. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's what I want to do with, with these conversations and with the work that I'm involved in is to change that cultural DNA. Okay, we can look at each other in the eye. doesn't mean like the whole country has to turn into this hippie commune where we, you know, you, God forbid, we'll adorn the purple robe or whatever it is and jump up and down and, and do all this strange stuff that you find in certain ashrams all over the world, right? But the ability, for me, my first principle of thinking about intimacy is that if you've never had a moment of complete, connection like complete naked intimacy my heart's open and everything that I feel is on show and you can see it and I'll reveal it and you will do the same and we sit together in this mutual sense of I'm naked see me there's no defenses I'm not going to try and manipulate or defend or justify or explain like I'm willing to be raw and vulnerable and your partner is in exactly the same situation there's a mutuality to that presence and that connection and for a lot of people, that's ecstatic. Like that's a mystical experience because it's so different to the norm. You know, a lot of people are like, yeah, I want to travel and I have this mystical vision of what love might be. And it's like time stops and we go into this void together and so on. That absolutely exists. And if you fall in love and you, uh, you're able to get that present as you're falling in love you and her will feel that spellbound the eyes go like saucers pupils dilate the oxytocin gets released it's like the the rush of falling in love slowed down so you can savor every taste for years i thought that was the peak experience like the peak of the mountain like if only i could meet a woman and fall in love like that my heart knows that that is true and that's how I want to live my love relationships. For years, I thought that was a kind of peak experience. Now I see that as the baseline. Yeah. Like, if you cannot... I was going to say, that's the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you cannot be like, listen, my darling, it's been tumultuous lately. There's been conflict. We have deep uncertainty about how this future will go. I'm fucking raw. I love you. It's very uncertain just let's slow down and drop the defenses for a few minutes and look in your partner's eyes like eye to eye i'm naked real soft heart opened i'm here i don't know i love you that i do know and your partner is in the same space as you and you can revisit that sense of like okay just presence no defenses no trying to do anything no avoidancy just presence that's the basis. And then we can remind ourselves, you asked me about conflict a while ago. Okay, we can be in a tumultuous month, but we can come back because our, the beginning of our love affair had so many moments of this simple mutual presence with each other. We've got that as a baseline. Okay, we love each other this much. And the, <laughs> the, the sentence that... Um, brings us back to this place this is like right on the edge of conflict when the conflict is fraught there's one sentence that brings me and my girlfriend back to this place and it could be if we're to break up i just want you to know oh, right. <laughs> you know the heart bursts open and all of the the real gratitude because mm. underneath the conflict it's like underneath all those layers of sediment and conflict and unspoken things and collections of resentment right at the bottom of a love affair is like huge overwhelming gratitude 
like the spiritual experience of the universe, let's say, is what lies underneath all the years of fucking clutter that accumulated. And my beautiful client who lost his relationship for three years, now she's out of his life and the resentment has fallen away. He's left with a gaping void of underneath all that crap that she did to me. My heart just bleeds in fucking gratitude and appreciation for this human being. Like what a wonder. And I eternally wish her the best, whatever happens to her, like may she go and be happy in this life. And, and I can be here with my bleeding heart. And there's a spiritual, there's a moment of like resolution somehow in that. It's like, I'm fucking brought to my knees, but I love that's unconditional love. And, uh, yeah, we, we need to taste that early on and during the relationship again and again. That's the base. That's the base. And after, and, and if a conflict cycles through, and this is coming onto your point, like you said, yeah, I can try and take some of the heat of the, the conflict out of it to try and go back to a more logical debate ground. My sense is if I've got crappy sediment emotional sediment in my body and I still want to blame her and shout some stuff for a little while, I'll turn up the volume and try and get rid of some of that. Like my, my woman is robust enough that she can fling that shit right back at me. And, and we're, we're equally as robust to that. Right. Um, but actually by turning up kind of like a vacuum cleaner, you know, if you, you can turn it up and you can turn it all the way up to 10 and the suction is really, really strong. The, there's a lot of sediment in a conflict. Like she's got horrible emotions and thoughts floating around her. Some of them like viciously horrible. And I'll say that like, I might bracket in the middle of a conflict, I might bracket something and I'd be like, yeah. And you know what, babe, rather than shouting in her face, this is what I think of you. You're a, you're a, you're a dot, dot, dot. I will be like, you know what? I was riding around on my motorbike today and in my head I was just like, and I will turn my face away from her and shout at the ground. She's such a bitch. She's such a blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm revealing to her the full emotion of my shit temper. I'm not screaming it at her face. Like I turn my head to the side so she doesn't, her nervous system doesn't actually have to drink in all of the shit I'm pouring out. And there's the vulnerability, which is, I'm not saying this to you now, but in private moments in my head, when I get really in a temper and really feel separate from you, this is the horrible crap that goes on. So rather than an attack, it's actually more of a revealing of my vulnerability. And, and that's how I kind of uh, demonstrate some of those feelings that are going on. But I want to turn that, that as, as much as she is robust enough to take, and I think we're all on a journey to become more robust uh, in intimacy, we have to be, um, the more of that she can take, the more I can expel, the sooner the energetic component of the conflict moves through and the crappy voices and the horrible judgments and the really bad emotions, they all get flushed out, which means we return to that place of like heart open gratitude faster. And, and that's the key. Like, can I, can I get there? And sometimes it's not easy. Like, oh, I wish I could just unload and in 10 minutes we'll be back in the gratitude place. Sometimes it takes a few days and we have to go to sleep and it's the sediment's still there and, and you know, you sleep four hours and you wake up six times in the night and, mm -hmm. you know, like every time she goes, 
I take it personally. <laughs> Sometimes it takes days, but it's like whatever needs to get flushed out of the relational space needs to get flushed out. And then we return to the baseline, which is, fuck, like, you've been with me for the last, in my case, the last two years. Like, literally, this little mammal creature has followed me around and participated in my weird-ass, crazy life. <laughs> and she's still here. And she's grateful and thankful and she gives this much brightness and you're still here despite me. And after having a good rant, this self-reflectiveness, oh yeah, I'm no saint either, comes back online. <laughs> I, sorry, I, I really yeah. like I really like the uh, the practice you were just talking about of you know, talking to her and then kind of yelling at the floor and saying, this is what I was thinking. Cause I think it achieves two things. One, yeah, you're not throwing that energy at her in her face. So she's not receiving the sort of shock of that head on. And two, it illustrates like to her that, you know, the, the woman that you're mad at in your head is not her necessarily. You know what I mean? It's like a less charitable version of her or it's, or it's, you know what I mean? You're, you're not saying that this is what I'm thinking of you. It's like, this is what I was thinking of the woman in my head who was really pissing me off, yeah. which is distinct from you. Yeah. Right? It's interesting you say that because that quote unquote technique is not something that I picked up in a workshop. It, it's just an expression of what feels right in the moment. And it's because when I'm riding around on my motorbike, when I'm fuming and angry and judgmental about her for some reason, um, that is a woman I'm making up in my head. And when I come back into eye to eye, to eye connection with her, I realize that all the monsters I was making up in my mind are not actually true because we're back in connection and the reality is totally different. And the problem I think with most conflicts, lingering conflicts, and then the, uh, the judgment, resentment and so on that, that lingers after the conflicts that stuff lingers because we're not actually in connection with each other. You look eye to eye with your, and we see this in the, in the groups and in the work I do as well. You sit eye to eye with your partner after a few minutes. It's like, oh yeah, I can't hold any of this against you because <laughs> it was all mentally created stories about you. And the being that I see who's soft and vulnerable and not defensive, that's another subject. But when you're soft and vulnerable and not defensive, I realize just how much I love you and it melts my heart open again and I can't hold anything against you. And this is the other part of conflict as well. Like when I'm doing conflict at my worst, I forget about the humanity of the other person and I forget that they've got a uh, truth in this, which is a piece of gold for the relationship. I just don't see their wisdom. I'm just identified with me trying to be right. You know, there's the famous saying, do you want to be right or do you want to actually be in relationship? And so when I'm in conflict at my absolute best, I can be two feet on the ground. That's important. Like I actually feel my feet on the ground. Uh, my body weight is actually evenly distributed above both legs. So I'm, I'm not like this thing that can just be knocked over. Like actually physically I'm grounded. Um, my chest and shoulders are somewhat open. My chest is not protruding to try and dominate with a kind of, you know, open beating chest alpha-ness. Neither am I concave and hidden and meek. Like, I want to tell you this thing about what I'm hiding from you. No, just like fully open. It's a posture of, you know, say you do Pilates 10 times and your body's nice and strong and firm and open. And you do a bit of Qigong like that. Like, I'm here. I'm present. I'm soft. I'm open. Your arms are uncrossed. Arms are uncrossed. Yeah. And... 
I can express myself fully at her. Like it's warrior, like this is my truth, boom. And at the same time, I, I am very much cognizant that she's got a perspective as well and she might see stuff I'm not seeing. And, and as soon as those kind of things click, well, I'm fully expressed here, but you've actually got part of this conflict and we are in a conflict. And once you speak your full truth and I speak my full truth, both of us are going to be elevated to a different place. We're not, in a, we're not trying to prove who's right and who's wrong and have someone win the conflict. Both of us are both stuck in a thing. It's not fun for either of us right now. If we do this well, we can both transcend to a new layer of understanding. And um, as soon as I recognize that, I then can be the first one to be vulnerable, which is uh, something I said the other day. And, and, and then, then there's, there's this and there's this and you're like this and you said that and then there's this. And then I found myself smiling. Like I just dumped a whole bunch of blame and shit on her basically. And then I'm like, oh yeah, like <laughs> three of those I just made up because I wanted to win. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she's like, oh, thank you. Like, cause I felt like some of that was true, but a lot of it was bullshit. And I'm like, yeah, I really want to win. And I, and, and I just want to fucking show you that I'm right. <laughs> and, and I call my own bullshit along the way and, and the humanity comes back in. Mm. That, that was the story from the other day. And, and then she starts smiling. And yeah, the, the, there's a funny way in our conflict where the sentence that opens the heart is, you know, if we don't make it, like if, we, if this is it and we have to break up, this is what I want you to know. Or if we never see each other again, or, you know, if we break up this week, this is, you know, it's heart opening. The other one is um, sometimes when I get really emotionally wrapped, because I'm a calm guy, it's like ease and delight. Not a lot bothers me, right? And she likes to bother me just to test and see if it's true. She's a fiery woman. Yeah, totally. And, and the, sometimes after a conflict, if I say the words, you're so annoying, her heart opens into ecstasy. Really? Like she just wants to bother me and right. bug me. And if she can um, upset my mental equilibrium. emotional equilibrium, she's, she's in, just in rapture. Wow. And I say that to sometimes like, you're so annoying. And the more I feel annoyed and tell her how annoying she is, she's so happy. What, why? <laughs> like, you know, that's a sincere question. Help me understand the feminine better, Jordan. Why? Yeah. I, I guess it means love. And I like, she has the power to poke through Jordan. She can get to the core of you. Like no one else can. Yeah. I, she I, can annoy you like no one else can. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it means love. It means the presence that I am goes into action. I mm. think David Dada talked about this when he talks about the tussle or fire flowery combat or something well the tussle is an easier way to remember it but she likes to bug me and bother me and so if i'm present on some task like my work i'm not present on her she likes my presence mm. like that's the best thing because that is love for her my attention attention mm -hmm. um so if she bothers me then i have to give her attention 
And I hate it because my attention's on the task. I don't want to give her attention. She keeps bugging me and bugging me. And after a while, I get irritated. And then I put all my attention on her. And not only that, but then I have to be like, stop bugging me. And, and then she will like stick her tongue out or goad me or turn it up even more. And she just wants me basically to, it, it's like, um, I don't know, some kind of mating ritual. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm picturing like lion cubs in the savannah or right. something like that. Okay. At one point I'm like, for fuck's sake. And then I have to kind of pin her down and penetrate and be like, stop. And at this point I've picked her up and I've thrown her on the bed and I'm, and like, she's biting me and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm saying like, shall I, shall I reach for the nuzzle? You know, <laughs> like, you need, you need to be stopped. Right. And, and, and she's just like giggling and finds that ecstatic because not only did I give her attention, but I gave her penetration as well. It's, um, it, it, it's somehow sexual, but it's somehow very, uh, that's the tussle of the masculine and the feminine. She just wants to feel my presence. She wants to feel my power to penetrate and she wants to feel it preferably with my heart open, you know, like. I'm, I told you I'm working, like fucking stop it. And she's like, da, 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 da. And, and it's just this dance. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Dance. Yeah. It's a great way to form, to formulate it. I want to, I want to push back in something you said a few minutes ago, maybe not push back, but just, um, I'll tell you the reaction that I had to it. You mentioned something along the lines of, um, when you're in conflict with your partner and you say something like, if we don't make it. Or if we break up, I want you to know X. My feeling in my relationships has generally been, and by the way, I haven't always been lived this uh, myself, but my general feeling has been try to avoid that as much as possible, the whole thing of, and I'm not sure this is exactly what you're talking about, but I've been in, in conflict with women where it's almost like, well, we should just break up then. Or, or well, you know, like maybe we should just break up or I don't know if we can do this. And my feeling has always been, I think you should hold that sentence and that whole idea, hold off until it's really necessary in terms of this is something, you know, don't just say it because you're angry. Don't just say it because you're pissed off because for, for my money or for me, that's a serious thing to say. And I try to avoid that in fights with, with uh, women I've been dating as well. Cause I think sometimes people use that idea or playing around with that idea in, in terms of conflict as a weapon, you know, as a way to hurt the other person, as a way to gain up the upper hand or, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, to what extent do you, is this what you're talking about or are you talking about something different? Something different. So I totally agree with you. Basically everything I'm saying here and all my coaching and advice could be used as a manipulation, basically, if it's not true in the moment. Mm. Um, you mean, okay, right. Out of context. Yeah. So there is the words that I'm saying, if we never see each other again, like, Hey, I'm going to break up with you. Hey, I don't think this is going to work out. Hey, like we might like literally after this fight is done, we might not ever see each other again. That's inauthentic because you can feel the heart closure in that. Right. And as you said it to me, you felt like in those instances, it's a, that's a weapon. Yeah. The the very sentence is used to a weapon. And it's not hurtful. It's not coming from a real place. And that's what I kind of find kind of annoying because I can see through it. It's like, oh, can we just skip the bullshit and come back to what's what's true and what's real exactly so the next if you want to have a heartfelt fight that's the next at least in my kind of way of seeing that's the next thing it's like yeah you're trying to lay this line on me cut the bullshit cut the bullshit and show me what's really going on and i will stand there firmly and be like cut the bullshit and show me what what is this really about 
What is this really about? It's not what it's really about. What is this really about? Like fucking show me. And I challenge like that. It might seem a little bit harsh, but it's like, that's what I fucking want to hear. But when I talk about, and if we never see each other again, usually what happened is the conflict got to a point of, uh, it, it became so fractured and so fraught that our hearts kind of broken open. That it's like, wow, we are right. Like, this is not just a fight and a plate throwing. This is like, okay, we've fallen into the cracks of irreconcilable difference right now. You can feel that it, if you maintain this posture, and if I maintain my posture, we're not going to make it. And we both feel that there's an incredible tenderness in that. Because it, it, it's like the, it, it's slipping through our fingers as we speak. And, and as we return to that emotional quality, uh, that breaks the heart open. And the conflict really comes through. So yeah, there, there's nothing gamey about that. And the other thing for conflict is, big principle, you've got to be in your truth the whole way. If you're like reaching for weapons to win the conflict or to end it prematurely or to get the outcome that you want, you're not actually in the conflict. The conflict is speaking the raw, uh, speaking words that match what is in the emotional system, what is the, the sediment at the time. That has to be brought into play. And, you know, I talk a lot, I've been talking a lot about embodiment and, and if you're not in the body, if you're not connected to your emotions, then good luck having this kind of generative conflict. you enjoyed today's episode of humans in love if you'd like to learn more about my guests my work or you'd like to listen to back episodes of the podcast please visit humansinlove.com if you haven't already be sure to subscribe to humans in love using your podcast app of choice if you're a fan of humans in love and you'd like to help keep the show going and help me spread the word please take 30 seconds out of your day to leave a rating and review on apple podcasts or your podcast app of choice before I let you go, remember that life is short, so let's make it count. And thank you, as always, for your listenership and support. I'll talk to you again very soon.